Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you only read one article during this summer's World Cup, make it Patrick Jennings' extensive piece on Russian football legend Lev Yashin. The image of the flat cap goalkeeper will be everywhere this summer as part of the branding for Russia 2018. And his story is an epic tale, which Jennings tells in a gripping piece of long-form journalism on the BBC website. Built around an incredible interview with Yashin's widow Valentina in the Moscow apartment she shared with her late husband, Jennings tells the story of a man who was forced to flee from the Nazis as a young boy and ended up becoming the only goalkeeper in the history of the sport to win the Ballon d'Or. Yes, Yashin was the original sweeper-keeper. But it's the format of the article as much as the content which sparkles. Created by a team of more than a dozen BBC journalists, the article shows what is possible in digital journalism. Built using the visual storytelling platform Shorthand, the piece is fully interactive with accompanying archive, photographic and video footage and a scrolling timeline. This is my conversation with Patrick. Enjoy. Many call him the greatest goalkeeper of all time, a goalkeeper of legend, that's for sure, known as the Black Spider, the Black Panther, said to have saved over 150 penalties in his career, the only goalkeeper to have won the Ballon d'Or, 1963. And, you know, today he's the World Cup poster. His face is on on the poster. He's the one diving towards that ball in this kind of like a almost constructivist-inspired Soviet-era poster that you, you see all over town here. There's an enormous painted brick mural of him in the south of the city. He's 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 iconic to this day, and that's um, that's for good reason. And I guess his image is, is particularly iconic because he's very often seen in this kind of all-black outfit with his flat cap. Mm. His image has is, is become part of kind of football folklore almost. Yeah, I think very much on the folklore on that one. I mean, obviously, we're talking about the the article that, that I wrote recently about his life, and uh, for that we went to speak with his his widow Valentino, his wife of how many years were they married? Thirty six years, and she told us, you know, the story about the flat cap being stolen off the top of his head after nineteen sixty European. I think it was called the European Championship. Was it? No, sorry, the UEFA Nations Cup, uh, which later became the European Championships, uh, which the Soviet Union won. Um, that's their first you know, major international football trophy. They won the Olympic gold in 56 in Melbourne as well. But, you know, his flat was apparently lifted off his head by a fan and, and stolen, which he never replaced. So it's kind of one of those things that is, is still hanging around in the same way that, you know, we associate him with a black top. And in fact, it was a very dark blue, which maybe, you know, if you look back on the black and white footage of that day, you know, very hard to tell the difference between those two. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, his achievements and this kind of sense of, I don't know, encompassing something beyond football in his personality as well, that has just made him into this iconic figure. Tell us a little bit about you know your relationship to the subject your relationship to to this story to immerse yourself to the degree that you did do in this project uh you must have had a real passion for yashin and his story 
I've had this great encyclopedia of football when I was a kid that I loved reading about all the legends of the game, stadiums, all that sort of stuff. I had one of those philosophy football uh, tops. I don't know if you ever saw those yeah. with the you know the quote the quote about you know the joy of seeing Yuri Gagarin flying in space is only superseded by the joy of a good penalty save. <laughs> Yashin on the back. And with the iconic like CCCP on the sleeve of the Soviet Union. So there was all this kind of, um, this man wrapped up in all this mystery you kind of want to delve into. So obviously years later now, we're, we're coming into, um, you know, when I went to university, I, I studied French studies and Russian studies. So in that, you've got your language and history and culture literature kind of all wrapped up in one joint uh, dual honours undergraduate degree. But I was always interested in Russian history and culture um, growing up as well at school before going to university. So I guess that contributed to my, my choosing to do the Russian and French. And then came to Moscow as part of the year abroad. So I was half the year in Wren in Brittany in France, half the year in Moscow. You know, then you're you're just one step closer, aren't you, to, to the place that, that gave, you know, this, this man was brought up here. He was a product of this city. You know, you would speak to people who might, would, you know, I spoke to, for example, stayed with a family, the woman who I was saying with her brother used to go and watch Dino in Moscow play. So he saw Yashin play. And every time he talked about him, his eyes would kind of could drift off and he'd be speaking like elegiacly about how Yashin did this and that. And just uh, there seemed to be a real genuine sense of admiration and fondness for him, which which is, I don't know if it's necessarily true of all people who who was kind of attained this legendary status, whether or not there is, you know, there seemed to be so much actual hard evidence of, you know, there was a reason for him to, who, to have reached this iconic status. So um, part of the thing, that what the work we were supposed to produce, part of this year abroad thing, was you, you came back to university, I went to University of Sheffield, so I came back to Sheffield in September, and you had to do um, like a presentation about a certain subject of your choosing, and I chose Lev Yashin. So I did this thing about, you know, you know, he's remembered to this day, blah, blah, blah. And part of, part of the reason, um, sorry, part of the, the presentation I did involved translations that I did of his, of his memoirs, of his autobiography that he wrote in 1975, I think it was. Um, so already I had access to all of this information about him, the primary material, prime source of his, his own words of his, about his own life. So I guess I always had in the back of my mind, I could do something with more with this one day soon. Uh, and then, you know, moving to BBC, working as a sports journalist, I've been working there since 2015. The Russia World Cup on the horizon, we first started to have thoughts about what can we, what can we write in depth about Russia and football in Russia. And it's, it's got to be Yashin. Um, and that was probably, we started to think about that and maybe December 2017, that is, so it's last December. And yeah, I mean, his life is just super interesting. And having lived, so born in 1929, died in 1990, he basically lived pretty much all of the Soviet Union's life. I mean, 1917 revolution collapsed in 1991. So, you know, there's, there's not much either end of it. And obviously he lived through the Second World War, here it's known as the Great Patriotic War, and it's such a, I mean, like the Second World War is for, for the British national identity as well, uh, extremely important. And the fact that he, at the age of 13, was evacuated from Moscow, ended up involved in the reconstruction of the munitions factory where his dad worked, ended up working there himself at 13, that's just uh, reading, his, reading his memoirs, it seemed to have a hugely... 
um, a really big impact on, on the person that he became and the, the way that he dedicated himself to his sport after after peace came so there's just lots of interesting facets to his life that you kind of think if you want to tell a story about a whole country about you know 80 years of history or whatever that's impossible <laughs> like you, can, you, you could do it but it would be very dry and just one human one person's story fitting in there just gives you that that license to kind of bring people in closer to a subject that maybe they wouldn't approach ordinarily and because it's through football um what we found and the positive reaction to the article was that you know you have a lot of people who might not really like football very much but they really like this really like the story really found found that they were exposed to something new and interesting um which is which is brilliant you know you can't ask for much more than that absolutely i think that so- social and political context was was fascinating throughout the article but I, I thought it was really interesting that you chose this kind of visual storytelling platform. Uh, I think it's called mm. Shorthand. Shorthand gives you the ability to embed different elements of the story within it. So, for example, you can use archive images, you can use contemporary photographs, you can use newspaper cuttings, uh, videos, and you can embed them within the article itself. You can also you also have the scrolling timeline, which I thought was really interesting in terms of laying out how Yashin's story intertwines with the history of the Soviet Union. So it must have been fantastic to have that kind of platform to tell a story of this scope. It's such a big story. It's such a sprawling story. It's such a, so many elements involved in it that you really do need to use as many devices as, as, as you can to kind of lift it. And, and tell it in different ways. So, like like you say, the timeline. Uh, you know, our design team and um, and Phil Dorks, who was involved in the uh, production of it, he's really the genius behind all of that. I have to say, um, I just wrote the words. So all of all of everything that everybody enjoyed about the visual elements and about the interactive elements and the way that it all knits together so beautifully. I can I can say that it knits together beautifully without blowing my own trumpet because it wasn't me. But yeah, that I, I think the timeline especially it is just. It's just such an interesting period in history. I mean, the fact that his the glories of the Soviet Union team of that age coincided with, you know, sending the first human in space, um, landing objects on the moon, um, Sputnik before all of that, the very first, you know, man-made object to to orbit the Earth. It's 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 just fascinating. You really do need to to have the visual elements to bring that to life because some of it is kind of difficult to envisage when you see um for example i really liked the um, front page of the newspaper announcing sputnik's success and it just gives you an extra insight and window on on how it was how it's celebrated here so yeah the shorthand is the the online template thing that we kind of use for all of these pieces like for the um uh your listeners may have read uh james gearbrandt's brilliant piece about football in france two years ago before the start of the euro 2016 again produced in a really brilliant way by Phil. It just it just means that hopefully people maybe when they see it they recognise that it might be something a bit different and it might be something worth investing a bit more of their time in because I mean there's so much competition for for people's time, people's attention span on on especially on mobile devices that you kind of want to bring them in and keep them there. So I think that what we did, you know, it was a, it was a fantastic production. How many watts is the article in total? I think I think it's about four and a half to five thousand. I'm not sure. Something like that. Something like that. that that's really interesting because sometimes with kind of long form journalism, you feel like 
this is going to be a, a really serious bit of time you need to put aside to consume this content. But I felt it was it really had a lovely flow to it. And I think the, the different elements that you drop in there, they just they just lift the story so much and they give you that ability to paint in um, that bit of context that what, what I'm trying to say is I think it becomes a much more immersive experience and mm. I don't know if that's the kind of feedback you've got from, from people that, that they have found that they, they just get carried along with the story I mean it's certainly, it's certainly the intention, I mean I think what we thought would be uh, the best way to do that is to have it's going back to the idea of it being a very human story I suppose because I mean the fact that we were able to meet with Valentina who is such an extraordinary woman um, and so lovely so warm so hospitable the fact that we were able to meet her in um, in her apartment where they where she'd lived since 1964 um, with Lev it was um, it was just a it was just the obvious thing to do to make to make her the the kind of constant presence throughout and she would be the one who who'd sort of lead you by the hand almost. Uh, and I really wanted to try and get across the sensation, the feeling, the atmosphere of being in that in that living room, in that hallway where nothing has changed for years and years and years, where, you know, she still talks about him as if he is alive, flitting between present tense and past tense, depending on the depending on the question. It's um it was just a really, really lovely experience. I mean, the whole thing with Valentina was um always gonna be like the the big get of that weekend so we spent a weekend in moscow in april gathering material we went to meet vasily his, his grandson as well as a few other people and valentina was a little bit cautious at first because we'd spoken plenty of times over the phone but we hadn't spoken too much about the idea of her being filmed on camera because bbc tv are producing a short um feature film on lev yashin as well which will be broadcast during the world cup so she was at first a little bit hesitant about that but once we got in, you know, I did the old fantastic trick of um, presents and flowers. So I think the I'm not I don't know how how much of a key it was, but the Marks and Spencer biscuit tin in the shape of a London bus probably was a, a fairly large contributing factor to it. Uh, odd number of flowers because am I right in saying odd number? I think it's the even number of flowers in Russia is traditionally for a funeral. So odd odd number of flowers. I might have got that the other way around. It's quite dangerous, but. And then 10 minutes inside, sat down talking about the weather, etc. And she was like, bang, like a, a switch went. I'll just go and put my earrings on, like change into my, into my fancy top. And she's just a lovely, lovely woman. Very, very open and hospitable. And you can just really sense the, the pride in, in what her husband achieved as well. And the fact that he was such a modest person despite all the achievements. I think she was so, so keen to, to press that point. Um, so I guess like her her contribution to it really made it all, and it's and it's her voice that I wanted to have kind of in each section and the family aspect of it because it's such a it's such a close family. The fact that people read through it all is is is, is good. I mean that's that was the idea. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's really interesting you talking about the access you had uh, to Valentina and we've been reflecting on the power of archival material and, and digging out all these old newspaper cuttings and you know having access to his memoir which i think is is really important as well but we're always banging on about this but the, the importance of access uh, mm. in terms of elevating journalism is, is so so important and i think it was it was really powerful that you you had this audience with with valentina there were so many great lines just your immediate environment you're looking about you're seeing the 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 apartment I think what you mentioned was actually given to them by the state in 1964. Mm. It's almost like a shrine to, to Lev Yashin, isn't it? Because it's got all these medals and pictures on the walls. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, there's just so, so, so many. And I mean, like every every corner of it, there'd be more stacked up on more and more and more. And more. I mean, um, and it's just, he just achieved so much, I suppose, first of all. But then, um, you know, remained remained in the game uh, kind of in, in an almost sort of semi-ambassadorial role for Dinamo. He did he did do some coaching for them briefly, but then he also had the later administrative role with them and with the sort of um, Soviet football authorities of the time. So he would, I, I guess, like for example, if we take outside the bathroom, hanging up there's so just an Ipswich Town pennant from their UEFA Cup win, and we were like, so I like, we asked her like, where did you get where did he get this from sort of thing? And she just had no idea. We thought maybe like Sir Bobby Robson might have given it to her or them as a present or something. Just loads of things that aren't connected to his own career or own achievements necessarily, but people have sent to him as a as a gift, as a sign of affection. Loads of plaques everywhere from you know like I think there's one from the Israeli Football Federation. Again, just has no particular links with them that I'm aware of, but. Um, we'd, we'd just sort of go on another one on the pile. I mean, it's like what she said about the, um, the Ballon d'Or win. Like they didn't do anything special. It was just an, another another award. But she didn't mean that in a sort of they weren't taking anything for granted. They just weren't perhaps considering him worthy. Almost it was kind of a, just a, a modesty that that kind of other people react well to. I think. You know, when you have the like iconic pictures between Pele and and him, and you know, he didn't speak a word of um, English, even less so Portuguese, I'd imagine. Um, but they were just kind of the warmth and the embrace and and all of that. It's kind of just says so much about the man that so many people from so many different walks of life and all around the world felt like they had a connection with him. You mentioned the piece that um, she's got this. Is it like a chocolate replica of the Ballon d'Or? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think I'd like to taste that chocolate after. So no, long, but... I, it looks a little bit like the grandkids might have had a movie at some <laughs> stage, but now it's like out of it's a it's probably head height for me. I'm about just over six foot, so it's right. out of reach <laughs> of um of the of the well but... now grown grandchildren, but the great grandchildren. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, it's just so. It's just so strange. I mean, I don't know if Lionel Messi's got loads of them in the fridge. Or... 
Yeah, but it's interesting that you know you told that story about how when he won the Ballon d'Or, it was just another award, and they just they didn't celebrate it any differently to all the other achievements. But it, it, it's interesting that that's kind of been the one that's almost e- echoed through the generations because when there'll be plenty of people listening to this, that's probably the thing the the thing they know about Yashin is he was the the only goalkeeper ever ever to have won the the Ballon d'Or. So it's funny that that has become the kind of most enduring thing in some senses uh, to a Western audience anyway. I guess it's. it's because he's still the only one i mean if we think about in modern times like people might have said buffon should have won or oliver khan and manuel neuer and now we're in this generation where basically everyone who's good at football is just waiting for messi and Ronaldo to stop playing and winning everything for for a moment when we were talking about it she was convinced buffon had won it as well so we kind of had to say well actually no he's definitely the only one we're, we're totally sure um but i i guess that's why really just because he remains the only goalkeeper still to have done it when there's been so many other legendary goalkeepers. I want to talk a little bit about Yashin's kind of iconic status within uh, Russia because I think there is a bit of context to that as well and it's this idea of the, the goalkeeper being thought of as a border. There's a fantastic uh, line in, in the piece we've seen, Russia is complicated, this beautiful, damaged and proud country, experiences of war, a history of repelling foreign invaders and that partly explains the special role of the goalkeeper. Um, mm. And Valentina actually refer- I think she's got this line that says she's talking about the, the amount of nervous tension that a goalkeeper suffers and she she says, you know, they're the last line, the one in the border. If the border is breached, it's a goal. And so, so it's quite mm. a kind of um, powerful status almost within Russia, it seems. It's definitely a, a compelling case for that, a compelling argument for that to be the case. I think it was, it was certainly something that I'd considered uh, before we came out together, the the material because we we pay reference to you know the paintings that are in the Tretyakov gallery here that that film uh, the goalkeeper the, the Soviet 36 36 film which is just bizarre that um it, it's a really terrible uh, it's supposed to be a comedy it's not it's kind of slapstick but there's the the scene at the end where the heroic goalkeeper is you know keeping out this all black f- fictional international fascist team um the, it's an away game for the soviet union heroes and they're the commentator is speaking french and english so it's kind of like this strange sort of the enemy of the soviet union being this kind of fictional european thing um and i think um the the name of the team is like the bulls and they're all in black and they wear these kind of it's almost like a kilt it's kind of something you might imagine like a, a warlike garment of some some description so there's all of these things that you kind of you can you can think about but then we also went to speak to um alexander Vukovishnikov, who's the sculptor who has sculpted made two two bronze statues i actually call them um sculptures rather than statues because one of them is quite dynamic and it's kind of there's a, a frame of a goal and yashin is reaching up to stop a ball the other one is kind of more simple. It's kind of the man and, and the football under his arm. But, you know, it was something that he contributed as well, this idea that the goalkeeper was of special interest to him, even though he's not a particular football fan. So I think probably that, that might be a, a decent sign, really, that it does that message does carry something of weight, because if it's people who aren't necessarily interested in football that pick up on that. Um, and Valentino herself, you know, she totally volunteered that. It was something that she just popped out with. So it's kind of further proof that there's um, it definitely does have a special role in in um, in Russia. 
and yeah, I mean, um, the fact that he himself lived through that period um, and, you know, was formed his childhood. You know, he said, you know, my childhood age, age uh, entered at the age of, of 12 years old um, when he was evacuated out of Moscow with the Nazis about 70 kilometers away. Uh, that was in the autumn of 1941. By that time, there was the siege of Leningrad, then Leningrad, now St. Petersburg, of course, was already well underway. And that you know, it was an extremely gruesome situation, uh, the deadliest in history, uh, I believe, the deadliest siege in history. So, you know, um, it's uh, it's definitely it's definitely something that that contributes to this idea of the goalkeeper being being special. I think there's the the annual Victory Day parades that take place in Moscow and Red Square. The you know the the sacrifice that the country made to defend itself in the, in the great patriotic war is something that maybe we're not, we're not that conscious of in, in great, in great Britain, really the, the, the sheer numbers of, of people who died, you know, some estimated over 25 million um, Soviet citizens who died and compared to about 500,000, I think in British, you know, and of course they did a similar thing when Napoleon invaded, you know, when Napoleon got, got in and then, you know, found that he'd kind of overextended himself and then was repelled back to back into Paris, uh, the Russians were up to. So it's a, it is a, it is an interesting um, place with its own special 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 history and its own kind of. I like to call them. It's like it's convinced of its special truths. It's kind of it knows that it has this place which is kind of unique in the world, um, and it's just interesting to think about how those special truths manifest themselves in. The cultures that we share, and football being you know, the most internationally shared, you know, cultural activity. It's interesting to see how those things are communicated, and the fact that Yashin is again the face of it to the world. You know, the, the sign of their prestige, a sign of their success, and the goalkeeper as well. Yeah. On the subject of the autobiography, I mean, that was obviously fantastic source material. It was interesting that you mentioned picking up on this maybe 10 years ago and, and keeping it in the back of your mind that this would be something that you could return to and uh, dig out some, some important information. What what was the book like? Is it, I mean, sometimes these, these older autobiographies don't fully do the subjects justice, but how close did, did this one get? Well, I was. It was. A, I enjoyed reading it. I mean, there's some very lovely lines in it. I mean, the, some of it is very detailed description and quite nice use of language. Um, it's not overly long, and it was published in 1975. This one, so there's there's a whole. You know, he lives another 15 years, so it doesn't touch on anything um, in his in his later life. But it's it's all about his his career and. And how he got to where he was. I suppose, really, you're. I mean, perhaps it would be too simplistic way to put it, but if you think about many footballers' autobiographies in in England, that they might be quite pedestrian almost. But the fact that uh, the Soviet Union at that time, I, I think it would be fair to say that they there's a there's a sort of strongest culture of literature, and people deal with literature in a different way. The the author is is kind of I don't know. I want to say on a, on a pedestal almost. It's kind of a very respected position. So perhaps that might have influenced the the kind of language that they use. It does read, you know, like a like a piece of literature. Yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I believe. I mean, I I accessed it from um, 
online basically so the the publishing house in 1975 is no longer you know when when the soviet union collapsed i, I believe they were bought out by a, another company that then collapsed and then this one i mean the copyright issues involved in it are kind of kind of crazy i'm not really sure who owns it exactly and i don't think it's in print anywhere you can walk into a um to a bookshop around here and buy the autobiography itself i mean there's dozens of biographies some of them official some of them not so but it is that's kind of interesting actually that the autobiography itself i think i think the only way to get it is online Obviously, we're on the eve of the World Cup, and I think it's worth reflecting on on Yashin's record at major tournaments because it's such a part of his career and his life story, really. And he starts off with the gold uh, Olympic medal in 1956. Soviet Union lose to Sweden in the quarterfinals in '58. Uh, they win the European Championships in, in 1960, um, and then in 1966 they finish fourth. But but I think 1962 World Cup is really interesting, and it's quite a kind of key moment in his life because they reach the quarterfinals, they lose 2-1 to Chile. But he's actually accused of losing two quite soft goals, and then there's there's subsequently quite a big huge fallout. Um, can you can you tell us a little bit about um, the narrative of that? Yeah, you're right. It's it's kind of the one big thing that's missing from his uh well from the from the the wall in his hall really there's there's no world cup medal um of any color but you know 62 i guess you going into the tournament as european champions of the first tournament you kind of there must have been a a, a pretty high expectation that the team would do well and as you say they went out um 2-1 to chile the quarterfinals but the the thing is that the um the performance, his performance was uh, not that bad. I mean, it certainly wasn't his fault that they got knocked out. But the uh, reporter, the only Russian language reporter at the finals was a TASS, Russian news agency reporter. Who was basically their, their daily job would be politics, business, economics. So they filed a sports report. This is um, Valentina again describing it as, you know, totally unfair. Um, I haven't actually read that report from 1962 myself but the it certainly seemed to have a an effect on the people of moscow because when the team got back you know there were people at the airport with signs criticizing yashin directly telling him to retire uh, and he was 32 um by that point so you know i guess there'd be quite a few people who might might be considering retirement at that age i mean maybe not so many goalkeepers but so you know that was um it's a really, really hostile reaction. People smashed the windows of their apartment. They not with the apartment that I was in, and they moved there in '64. You know, he'd get yeah, you know, like hostile messages through the post. Yeah, this is um, it was something that he he really took badly. Like Valentina was saying that he was he was he wanted to retire. He was considering maybe maybe they're right. I wrote down a quote from Valentina. She says, the journalist who reported from the match did not know about sports. His job was to write about South American politics. The report said nothing about how he suffered concussions but carried on. Nothing about the rest of the team, only about Lev. Uh, they said he was sleeping and the goals flew in. But it's just really interesting. It made me think about the Champions League final a couple of weeks ago and obviously um, Carrius makes those mm-hmm. terrible errors. And you think, how many people have seen that, how many people will be on his back and, and the pressure and the problems that that will create for him uh, throughout the rest of his life. But then you go back to something that happened 50 years before 
and actually it was the dissemination of this one report it's incredible to think about that that this badly qualified reporter uh, files one match report and it has a huge ripple effect in this guy's life you think about when the people of Moscow might have been able to actually see some of the match footage I mean you're going to wait at least I don't know how many days to ship it from South America to to Moscow they're, they're very much going to be relying on what's what's written in the newspaper aren't they but you know today's in today's day and age it's totally different the other day I was on Facebook and Vasily Folov the Lev's grandson had shared a video of that uh, 2-1 defeat and it you know you can see the goals that go in one of them is an absolute flyer like a long-range shot that really maybe Yashin might have saved it because he was Yashin but no goalkeeper really could be criticised for stopping that. I think there there might have been an element of um, this is just my interpretation. It might not be might not be true, but earlier in the tournament there was a game where they drew four 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 with Colombia, and Colombian player's name I forget now scored directly from a corner. And again, like when you watch that, it's a bad goal to concede. But the defender on the near post is just doing nothing at all whatsoever um but yeah the, the carriers thing i mean that's obviously really interesting that it that it happened i mean it's totally accidental the timing because you know we we'd written that before the the champions league final took place but it was just nice in a way for it to kind of have another sense of connection with what people are experiencing now i think that's quite a helpful way to frame his experience as well yeah absolutely i think it was a, a fantastic bouncing back from adversity if you like because then you know the, the story moves on to october 63 where he plays for the rest of the world against england at wembley and and suddenly he plays 45 minutes and suddenly the his performance in this game and the the reports back in in uh, soviet union seem to to kind of turn things around for him again public opinion starts to um flow in uh, back in the, in his direction again yeah absolutely i mean i think after 62 the soviet season was still going on domestic season was still going on so when he got back, I don't know, maybe it was always planned that he would have a break, but he certainly had a break after the after getting back from the World Cup with the position, with the sort of public sentiment having swung so strongly against him. Valentina was saying that the, the Dinamo manager at the time basically just said, look, don't worry, we we believe in you, obviously. Go and have a break, come back, you'll you'll feel you'll feel better. So I think Yashin went down down to the south of the Soviet Union. I'm not sure where exactly, but he always loved fishing. Probably involved fishing. Probably, perhaps, maybe if we get into autumn time, a bit of mushroom picking, which is another hugely popular activity in in Russia today. So you know, he came back from this break for the next season, refreshed, ready to go again. But at the beginning of the season, at least, it was judged it would it was judged that it would be unwise to play him in the home matches. So. For the beginning, he just played away games. So imagine if you've got your number one keeper, who's like the best goalkeeper of all time. Well, you know, obviously at that at that stage, we're not really sure of that, but best goalkeeper in the world, let's say, and you can only play him, you know, away from, you know, say, you know, away if say if you're Liverpool, away from, you can only play him at St Mary's or whatever. You know. It's just it's just bizarre. So I think he he they recount this story about how he he played his first game in Tbilisi against Dinamo Tbilisi in Georgia, present day Georgia. And, you know, there was there was there was a reaction from the public, but it was a jokey, jovial kind of reaction. Uh and it seemed to be that sort of like became the point at which they thought, well perhaps we just keep going, we keep, you know, getting clean sheets, keep winning, and people will start to get back on side. And so it proved. I mean that nineteen sixty three season was when he uh you know, I think he 
conceded, I forget now, it's about seven goals in 27 games, I think it was, that he played in. And that's a pretty good record. They won the league, always helpful. And then um, invited to play at the 100th uh, anniversary match at, 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 uh, at Wembley against the England side, captained by uh, Jimmy Armfield. What more, what more proof do you want of, of him being the best, best goalkeeper in the world? I mean, the, the manager of that World Eleven was the Chile manager in the in the sixty World Cup. So there's, as Valentino was very keen to point out, further further proof of you know, he wasn't really at fault in Chile if the if the Chile manager still thinks he's good. Yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, in December '63, he picks up the Ballon d'Or, and um, mm. there's a quote from France Football Magazine saying he revolutionised the role of goalkeeper like no other before him by always being ready to act as an extra defender, starting dangerous counter attacks with with the positioning and quick throws. So that's the kind of ultimate recognition of his his talent. You know, maybe 18 months after the lowest point of his his career. Um, I just want to ask you finally, Patrick, about the the credits at the end of the article because I, I really encourage people to to seek this article out and and to experience it all the elements of it um because it's 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 really quite epic and it's in its scale um but there's actually at the end of the article there's a team of 12 and um, reference from you as the author through to online producer editor sub editor designer fixer web developers so this was obviously a really big team effort in pulling all these elements together oh definitely i mean there's probably even more you know more people who aren't mentioned there to be honest with you i mean I was there. I only wrote the words, and there's there's a lot that goes into it that helps lift that, let help take it to this this next level of interaction and involvement, and just the idea that it's something something special. It's um it's great it's great to have been given the opportunity to do it because it's something that does require a lot of lot of time and a lot of effort to to go into it. But um, I guess when you see the final product and you see people's reaction to it and you see that it's in some very very small way had uh, a positive effect um, then it makes it all worthwhile and I'm sure everyone who is involved in it would, would agree with that. Thanks to Patrick for doing this interview. Check out Bulletmaker to Ballon d'Or, the man who reinvented goalkeeping on the BBC website now. Subscribe now on iTunes and listen to the rest of our World Cup series and all of the first season of Between the Lines, featuring interviews with Simon Cooper, David Winner, Rory Smith and more. Follow us at Backpage Press on Twitter and sign up to our mailing list at backpagepress.co.uk to get these episodes sent directly to your inbox. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.